0: The following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control.
1: Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president Abraham Lincoln succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And actually, Abigail <laughs> Speaking of philosophy know, of government. We are oh. we are actually going to kind of roll right into there pretty soon, but I'll let you introduce our guest with
2: so, uh, that's with us tonight. We are continuing our discussion with Mr. Greg Kokel, who if you were have not tuned into our previous podcast I would highly encourage you to do so. Uh, he is absolute, uh, absolutely a fount of information and wisdom, and he has founded the Stand to Reason organization, um, really focusing in on Christian apologetics, because the best part about Christianity is that it is based on facts and reason. And Mr. Cokal brings forth that so very well. Thank you so much for joining us again, Greg.
0: Oh, I, I'm really looking forward to our session. I'm still wound up from our last talk, so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> let's rock and roll.
2: well, we're not going to calm down anytime <laughs> yeah. soon. So, right. oh, go ahead. So, as I mentioned in the last show, um, Mr. Cocol has some fantastic, fantastic lectures that you can listen to. And again, if you have young kids, I want to encourage you; they are short. These really are very manageable. You can do them in under ten minutes. And I came away with copious notes um, from them. I learned a lot. But one of the things that I didn't, I really didn't know that I had never heard before is that, uh, Greg, you brought up that there is actually a tie between relativism and communism. And on this show, we've had a lot of fantastic guests um, discussing the need to be more aware about communism and how a lot of the, that type of thinking has been creeping into our culture. So mm-hmm. I'd love for you to right. expound on that just a little bit.
0: Sure. Yeah, um, I actually don't. I, I, I don't think that relativism, in a certain sense, leads to communism. I think what it does is a bet totalitarian systems, okay, of which communism is not only one, but it's the one that's right kind of on our doorstep right now. Uh, Marxist thinking is very popular in the West and really popular here in our culture right now, especially with the young crowd in the academy and virtually all of the doorkeepers of information in our culture. So we're getting fed a steady stream of these concepts, even though they're not characterized as Marxist or something like that. They come in in different forms, like a a variation right now is critical theory. Uh, uh, And some of you as educators are familiar with the different ways in um, uh, equity, diversity and inclusion and and all of that stuff. These are all characterization of this larger idea that's been in place for a long, long time, uh, decades and decades, and is now coming to roost in a certain fashion. And here is the way um, I think relativism plays into the hands of collectivists, because collectivists are totalitarian. That means they've got, they're they're statists so to speak. Mm-hmm. This, is the, this was, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, uh, the, the classic fascist uh, approach, everything in the state, nothing outside of the state, nothing against the state, okay? That's Italian fascism, for example, but it is characteristic of all collectivist, statist totalitarianism. You can't oppose these people. Okay. Well, well, what happens when you oppose them? Well, you can't open up your mouth because then you're going to get punished. All right. Well, Mm -hmm. how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens little by little by little by little. Okay. So we talked last year, I'm sorry, last session (laughs) about, (laughs) about the definition of relativism. Relativism is when truth it's a definition of truth or a way of understanding truth, and that's when truth is on the inside, it's not on the outside. It's on the inside, not on the outside. When we make statements about Jesus is the the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, critics are going to say, well, that's true for you. That's your belief. But that doesn't mean he actually is in the world, in reality. That's just your view. When we say abortion is wrong, somebody says, well, that's just wrong for you, it's not wrong for me, okay? Now, notice, by the way, when relativism gets a foothold into uh, statements about ethical issues or religious issues, it is a means of silencing people from advancing their view, okay? Basically, relativists say, you know, essentially, sometimes they do it nicely, sometimes not so nicely, but they're saying, shut up, (laughs) quit telling me what I'm supposed to believe, (laughs) Mm-hmm. Just let. I have my views. You have yours, and they're not true. Okay, so now what that means is it's silencing opposition. Okay. OK, now this is a main tool of leftist totalitarians. Mm-hmm. They silence opposition. Now, they do it different ways. And sometimes they do it in a in a, uh, a noble sounding way. OK, so they're saying, oh, you guys are trying to force your morality on me. Or they'll say you're being intolerant or oh, yep. you're being bigoted. That's a bigoted thing. Oh, you're being hateful. Okay, what are these all meant to do? Notice that none of those statements, exactly, none of these statements are are responses to whatever issues being discussed, whether Jesus is really the Mm -hmm. truth, Mm -hmm. whether abortion really is wrong, uh, whether statist totalitarianism is a good idea Mm -hmm. or not. No, they're they're not discussing it. They don't want to talk about that. They want to force it on you, and the simplest way to do that is get you to shut up. Okay, yes. no, but I'll, uh, there's an interesting thing I read uh, not too long ago, ladies, and you'll you, you'll be familiar with these authors and and uh, these because they've made a classic contribution, um, and so will many of your readers, I suspect. Okay, uh, one of them is George Orwell. Okay, now George L. Orwell wrote in the the early. 20th century, 1930s, 1940s, right in there, yes. and he wrote a yeah. famous book called 1984, yeah. and this is about totalitarianism, mm-hmm. and what George Orwell was pilloring there is, the, uh, is a Soviet-style totalitarianism. Curiously, he was a socialist, but he was not a collectivist. He said there is danger... Here and the Soviet Union in particular, of course we 've seen that come to fruition um, over the years, but na he 's speaking to that, and he thought that human beings are going to lose their liberties to speak because of the totalitarian regime okay and and he was very prescient in that regard this is mm-hmm. largely in many ways in parts of the country has come true yeah. there's a lot to learn and by the way that your many of your students may have already read. Animal Farm, which he Mm -hmm. also authored, which Mm -hmm. kind of makes the same uh, point, but in an allegorical form. form. And he's talking there about the Russian Revolution and how it went went south and whatever. Now, but there's another author during that same period of time. His name is Aldous Huxley. Yes. And he wrote a book, the book he wrote, A Brave 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 New New World. World. Okay. Now, he had a little different perspective. He said, Collectivist totalitarian governments are going to be take o- take over because they are going to give people what they want in exchange for their freedom. Yep. They're going to give people all the things that they w- satisfy their senses, and exchange for their freedom okay? A whole bunch of the subjectivist, relativistic language today is trying to tell people to shut up and don't tell me I can't enjoy myself the way I want to enjoy myself. Don't criticize my sexual behavior. Don't criticize my actions and these different things. Who are you to say? All right? Yes. And so I want to do my own thing for my own gratification. And Huxley said, well, you know what? In his characterization, his dystopian novel there in Brave New World, he says, the government's going to give that to you in order to control you in a totalitarian way. And guess what? Huxley was right, too. Mm-hmm. and we the, we see the same patterns playing out now. Give away, give away, give away, give away. Everybody does all of these things they want to do, but we're going to take we're going to be the nanny state that takes away your freedom to give you to to give you little perks and rewards in exchange for your freedom. So notice the the relativistic, the relativism stuff is at work here in different ways being used to um uh abet a more totalitarian enterprise. By the way, the totalitarians are not relativists. No. All right? Hitler Hitler believed as a matter of fact that the Aryan race was superior. So did the Japanese Yes. They believe their race, as a matter of fact, was superior. Um, the left believes, as a matter of fact, that Marxism is a more just system than capitalism economically, okay? So they are, in a certain sense, subjectivists, but they are using a lot of subjectivist language and relativistic language and impulses in people to get them to go along with their program and silence. Any meaningful opposition. And by the way, I'll just uh, I'll, I'll, after I'll, I'll end my homily here with just this thought. And I'll let you guys jump in, but but just as, as as a tactical issue, if you're talking about any particular controversial issue and you're trying to get all the facts on the table, it's a huge to figure out what's the best policy, for example, if you're talking about government, or what religious view is most accurate, or whatever, uh, or what moral view is most accurate. Here is a signal, a tell. If you have one side trying to silence the discussion, Mm -hmm. that's a totalitarian move that is not interested in truth, it's interested in power. Mm
1: -hmm. Once
0: again, One of two things is going to reign, either truth or power. That's the way it always is. Mm -hmm. And if truth is not allowed to be spoken, if it's silenced in whatever way it's silenced, power is the only thing that's left. And people who want to ascend to power in a culture are going to try to silence debate OK, mm-hmm. and this happens all totalitarian governments do this. The left has done this from the Russian Revolution and on and totalitarians from before that silence <laughs> the opposition. So if we see in our culture opposition attempted to be silenced, you know that who's doing the silencing doesn't have a good case or else he'd argue for it and win. Well, they we saw that during
1: we saw that during COVID. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Silence of any, any thought um, or mm-hmm. action that was different from the main, you know, Talking narrative points. of the left. The and,
0: exactly. Um,
1: people saying, you know, being told that you're going to kill your grandma, or, you know, you're killing grandma or whatever by
0: yeah, sure. not
1: following, and even though there was research all over the place that opposed yeah. the main narrative, which one of the COVID, things...
0: COVID is, a one, uh, COVID is a current example, but there's a lot more of them, too.
1: Yes. Yeah, one of the things that um, concerns me, and I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit trail here, but um, right now the U.S. is considering ceding the authority on how to handle a pandemic to the WHO. Yeah, World Health Um, Organization. Yes, and I find that incredibly frightening. When you talk about power, um, now we're going to have a body that is unelected, Unelected mm-hmm. And unaccountable. And unaccountable to anyone with a lot of ulterior motives. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Funded by a lot of well-to-do um, people and countries and um, pharmaceutical organizations. And, and to think of them being able to make the decisions that then stand for the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, this can't this this can't legitimately stand constitutional muster, but that doesn't mean they can't get it through. Exactly, uh, because as you pointed out, these are unelected people; they are not Americans. The Constitution governs us in a very particular way, and every single person in federal government puts his hand on something to pledge to defend the Constitution of the United States of America. So how are we ceding power and authority to put our entire country under the authority of someone else who is not beholden to our Constitution and not elected by a popular election? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I I don't know how this can actually take place. Right. Legally. Legally, it couldn't. We'll just We'll just see uh, what takes place. But the fact that this is even being countenanced by our people at office is very frightening. Yes. I agree with you.
1: Yes, it really is. Um, Oh, go ahead, Abigail. I can tell you were about to say something. Oh, I I have like
2: 80 different things (laughs) I want to say at all times um, in this particular interview. I'm so sorry for the listeners. This one's really just for me. So, too bad. Uh, s- similar to
1: we were talking about you just do you, um, one of the questions that we hear people say is, who are you to judge me? And, you know, I think that it- it's important for us to sort of come at this from a few different angles, the-, the most popular angles that we hear it in our culture. And that's another one. Who are you to judge me? What's the problem with that question?
0: Well, let me just give you a quick response that I would give, um, and, and it, it embodies the problem, and I'll cash it out a little bit, but my response is, who are you to take exception?
1: <laughs> I love that.
0: Yeah. Okay, now the reason I'm saying this, for some of them might have missed that, when somebody says, who are you to judge me, that is a judgment of the person they're talking to. Yep. Hmm. All right? Hmm. And um, they don't realize it. But it is a judgment. So th- what they're doing is playing the relativism card. But the rel- they're saying, "Look at, I have my rules, you have yours. You're judging me by your rules. Who are you? You know, are you? You're not God. You're not the law. You're not. You're just nobody. Yes. So you you don't have any right to judge me." Now, the reason they say they don't have any right, and, and this is implicit in the challenge, is because these kinds of things that are in question right now. That's a judgment that they're receiving. Well, these don't have any right answers. It's up to the individual. That's what they're thinking. And that's why they say, who are you? I got my own view. Okay. But their complaint is a judgment on the other person. Yes. And so they are doing the very same thing that they're complaining the other person is doing to them i'll give you an example of how this worked out in an illustration i mean an anecdote here and once once uh, folks get this uh your students parents whoever once you see this you're going to see it all over the place that's what i've okay? been struggling
2: with it's like you see the subaru that you've been looking at and now you see the subarus everywhere so i hope you all that's listeners right. are experiencing what i'm experiencing uh, right
0: now yes yes but this is worse than a subaru <laughs> <laughs> so here we got here i, I was being a. Uh, um I, I was having physical therapy done. Actually, this illustration is in the "Relative as a book. The anecdote is. I was having physical therapy uh, done by a guy named Gil. And Gil and I were talking about spiritual things while he's doing physical therapy on me. And he asked me uh, about a controversial ethical issue, and I give my candid opinion about it. I'm not berating anybody, but I just—and he said, you know, you Christians are a lot of times really nice, but sometimes you start getting judgmental. Okay, mm-hmm. now of course that's that's the complaint we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now I knew he just made a mistake, but I was I wanted to uh, I, I wanted to have a little bit more solid ground to stand on in this, so I asked him. I said, "What's wrong with that?" Mm-hmm. And she, Gil says, "Well, it's wrong to judge." That's what he says. So now I got it; it's right oh, out God, there. there yep. Now, of course, what is that? That <laughs> is a judgment.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and so
0: what I said, and, and notice, tactically, I'm using questions here, and I'm. A big favor of using questions, I, I've written two books on it. One's called Tactics, and the one that just came out in September is called Street Smarts, and I u- teach people how to use questions to maneuver these tough qu- situations. But you'll see very quickly about how uh, how this exposes the problem in, in a very simple way. So he says, well, it's wrong to judge. And I said, well, Gil, if you think it's wrong to judge, then why are you judging me right now? Mm-hmm. Well, he'd never heard anything like that <laughs>
1: he, he was confused. And he, he, and he probably said, looked at you like a,
0: a deer in the headlights. He's, no, he's scratching his head, and he's trying to yeah. think, like, what just happened? And so he's thinking about it, and finally he, 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 he said, okay, um, uh, yeah, I guess I was judging. Okay, well, then he says this. Well, maybe it's okay to judge. That's what he said. But then he says this. Cause he, he said, but you can't push your morality at other people. Now, he he thought he'd improved his situation there. Oh, no. Okay, I, I was. It's okay to judge, but don't push your morality. So I had another question, just for clarification's sake. And I said, uh, Gil, is that your morality? That it's wrong to push your morality on other people? Is that your morality? He said, yeah. He didn't see what was coming. <laughs> so I said, well, if that's your morality, why are you pushing it on me right now? And he's now he's back in the corner scratching his head. You know, muttering to trying to figure it out. He makes a couple of small uh, of false starts and finally he couldn't get going. He, he finally gets frustrated and he said, it's not fair. I said, what do you mean it's not fair? He said, well, I can't find a, a way to say it in which it sounds right.
1: I, don't play the
0: word <laughs> trick on him. I said, Gil, it doesn't sound right because it isn't right. You are telling me not to do something. But when you tell me not to do something, you are doing the very same thing you're telling me not to do. Yep. <laughs> so this is this is uh, for your more logic minded students. This is a self refuting statement. Yeah. It's like when somebody says, "I can't say a single sentence in English." Wait a minute. What was that <laughs> that you just said? Yes. And in the same thing here, people say, "Don't judge," or "Don't push your morality in other people." And at the very moment they're uttering it, they are judging you and pushing their morality. On, on you, and, and I, when I said that to, to you know the, the way this conversation sometimes ends, and i 've had this a number of times with people, you know because it 's not a trick i 'm just trying to help them to see that they 're doing the very thing they 're telling me not to do in other words they can 't live like a relativist they can talk like it they can 't live like it, and a lot of times <laughs> not, a lot of times people have said to me at this point in the conversation, well, now you got me all confused. You know? oh. <laughs> I, did, I said, no, no, you were confused when you started.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just don't realize it. So it's a joking thing I make with it, but it is true. They are confused mm-hmm. and I'm just helping them to see it. And by the way, once you see that when people make statements like that, they are doing the very thing that they're telling you not to do. It's simple to ask them a question about it, like I just did, and to turn it back on them. Oh. But once you see it, you are going to see it everywhere because yes. it happens all the time. Okay, mm. and that's what comes out of a relativistic culture. People want to be want you to be tolerant towards them, but they don't want you to. They don't want to be tolerant towards you in yes. the sense that they're talking about tolerance, and uh, they don't want you to judge them, but they want to judge you all the time. They want you. To let them do whatever they want, but they don't want to let you do whatever you want. Okay, yeah, exactly. people want to be relativists for themselves, but they don't want other people to be relativists towards them.
1: Yes,
2: <laughs> and I think this is it, listeners. I hope you're you're picking up on this because, again, truly, once you see it, you cannot unsee it, and you see it everywhere. And these, I mean, great intellects like Greg who can distill very complicated things down in a way that's very understandable all of a sudden you realize this actually makes sense and all of the things that i've been listening to that i knew didn't make sense but maybe you're you're not sure why it didn't make sense you just kind of know this isn't right these are the tools that stand to reason is giving people you know and again to be able to to see these things and go wait a minute, I don't need to be flustered. I don't need to, Mm -hmm. even I don't need to act, react emotionally. I can engage Mm -hmm. in conversation. So I hope you hear the heart. I can, you know, in this conversation, which is, yes, we want to expose these ways of, these illogical patterns of thinking, but it's not for Mm -hmm. the purpose of winning, though I do, I love to win. It's so fun. Um, but, (laughs) But it truly is so that, in in love we can engage in res- in productive conversations respectfully and these yeah. are the tools that we some- really need mhm
0: Let me add something to that, too, and um, it's not just we're explaining things. We are trying—what we're we're really after is we're trying to help people see the world the way it really is. And, of course, this relates not just to general things, but also to more critical, eternal things, uh, to sin and judgment and salvation and God's love enough to give. That all relates to the way reality is, and the way I I characterize this to my— my daughter, my 19-year-old, when she was only about seven or eight years old, and she she asked me, Dad, uh, Papa, she said, "How do we know? How do we know that God is true?" That's the way she put it. You know, she 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 kind of had the content of stuff, but she was believing it. But she she wanted to know why mm-hmm. she should believe it. Okay, so now I got to think about this, and though I do this with audiences and all that that's what I do for a living. At the same time, now I'm talking to my eight-year-old. I got to put it in language. She could understand. And then this line came to my mind, and I offered it to her. And I I think it really captures what Stand to Reason does and what we ought to be to the rest of the world uh, as we represent um, Stand to Reason. I said, the reason that we believe God is true, honey, is because he's the best explanation for the way things are mm-hmm the reason that we believe he's true and, and broadly the, the the christian worldview is true is because it's the best explanation for the way things are why do people feel guilty because they are guilty mm-hmm. that's why they feel guilty why do we believe in right and wrong because there is a right and wrong even when we try to avoid that you know uh why do we believe that there's evil in the world because there is evil in the world. I mean, all of that fits into the Christian story, you know? Why why do we talk about Mother Nature? Because it looks like somebody designed nature, and Mm -hmm. so we we call her Mother instead of Father. But this all fits perfectly in with our worldview. It's Christianity taken as a, a written large... From beginning to end, in the beginning, God, to the very end, makes the best sense of the world that we experience. It's the best explanation for the way things are. That's why we say it's true.
1: Mm. That is a beautiful uh, statement right there. And, um, you know, for all your focus on reason... um, even that is a reasoned response, but it really comes down to what makes sense, and mm-hmm. you know that's where right. the the faith does in the end have to come in. But it takes a lot less faith to observe the world as it is and explain that with uh, a biblical version of our of the world than it is to mm-hmm. believe that it's some godless um, accidental. Uh, process by which right. all of this somehow managed to come about and create the beautiful eye mm-hmm. and the ears and you know all the mm-hmm. intricacies of the human body and and um, to think that those happened accidentally so um, uh, yeah that's a beautiful statement and I know we, we only have a couple of minutes and and really probably just like a little over a minute could you just quickly mm-hmm. share what you would see as being the fatal flaws of moral relativism there's probably a lot but do you have one that you really want to talk mm-hmm. About quickly,
0: sure. Yeah, uh, very briefly. And uh, uh, if relativism is true, there is no problem of evil. Yes. Okay. Now, why do I say that? Mm -hmm. Because when we say raise the issue of problem of evil, we say, "How can there be a good God?" And by the way, this. Challenge needs to be answered, but I, I I'm not answering that now. But I'm just making the observation: when we say, "How can there be a good God when there's so much evil in the world?" Notice how we're identifying the world, the evil in the world. Mm-hmm. We're not just saying things happen that I don't like. Right. We're saying that things happen that shouldn't happen. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're wrong. But that's an objectivist view of morality. Mm-hmm. A relativist, if relativism is true there is no evil in the world. There are just different people who have different preferences. You can never say what anybody else did was wrong in itself. But we all know there is evil in the world. And therefore, relativism must be false. Mm.
1: Wow, that is so excellent. Excellent. Boy, Greg, it is really a joy to hear you talk about all of these issues as it relates to relativism. And I don't think I've had this deep of a conversation or, or heard somebody talk this deeply on this subject. For years and years so what a Mm. gift Um, thank you for your work at Stand to Reason and uh, thank you to Abigail for getting him here and thank you to our listeners for being a part of our podcast each week and we hope that you'll listen to us every Saturday night at 6pm on AM 1280 The Patriot and then also listen to our podcast at Spotify and iTunes
2: Have a good night everyone I hope your brain doesn't hurt